Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Rouge Rugby Podcast, where we focus on real Canadian rugby. I'm Hugh Hardy, joined as always by Derek Brissett. Derek, we had the final round of the Six Nations. We did. Uh, no surprise with Ireland claiming the Grand Slam, being as dominant as they have been, the world number one team since uh, November of last year. Yeah. Um, some interesting results as well. A very narrow game between uh, Italy and Scotland, which... Uh, Scotland were able to turn it around right at the end to deny Italy a losing bonus point. And then uh, France versus Wales, which I think even the most optimistic Welshmen, and those and those don't exist. I was going to say, do those exist? Are they... No, absolutely not. Is that part of the... But... I, thought that, I thought you got kicked out of the country if you uh, presented any form of optimism. Optimism, hope. You're like, yeah. hang on, I'm pretty sure you're English. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, but still, uh, a dominant France. But, uh, you know, defensive errors. They conceded the first try of the game, and then they conceded three in the second half. So, of all the teams to leave uh, France with a try bonus point, Wales. Imagine thinking that after their first game <laughs> of the tournament. Um, yeah. yeah um, uh, I've also seen that you've been uh, catching up with your Aussie rules football. How was that? Yeah, no, that was good. We had a big training session. Um, our first kind of, I guess, first second real kind of actual practice inside a, a dome at a Upper Canada College, which is probably the most Canadian Aussie rules football experience you could possibly have because you have to walk through the hockey arena to get to the dome. So, and then we capped that off by going to the Marley's game after. So we bookended our Aussie rules football practice with hockey. Um, we also had to uh, go th- pass through a uh, pass by a raccoon. Um, on the way to the uh, in the dome too. So hockey and raccoon is the most Toronto way you could possibly get to a footy practice. You sure it wasn't uh, Archie? Uh yeah, no, yeah, exactly. It might have been. It might have. I think it was Archie's cousin or something. I yeah, think it was his cousin. Okay. Um, always good to see the uh, the Archie clan though. Whenever uh, here around the city here, I think we got a couple that live down my street as well. Speaking of hockey though, and connecting it randomly to other sports. I I feel like Ireland after watching you know the Six Nations the Grand Slam got a couple of Irish guys on the uh, the Aussie Rules football team so they were all super hype on the weekend and um, we kind of came to the conclusion though that Ireland is the Toronto Maple Leafs and the sense that I do not care unless you get past the quarterfinal <laughs> like what does this matter I I don't care like get out of the quarterfinal for once. Yeah, um, get past the first yeah. round of knockouts and then yeah, exactly. We'll for talk. well, yeah, exactly. For for the Leafs, it's get out of the first round. I don't care how well you do in the regular season anymore. Get out of the first round. And for Ireland, yeah, cool, Grand Slam. That's awesome. I I feel happy for you. Um, I it means nothing to me if you lose to Japan or something in the quarterfinal. And I don't, I do not care. Um, until you get past that. And uh, my favorite stat to ever go off of for all my Irish rugby fans is that uh, Canada's won the same amount of quarterfinal games as you um, in the, uh, in the rugby world cup. So uh, yeah. which um, just in case you need clarification is um, the, it's also the same amount of quarterfinals that me and Stu have personally won. Um, <laughs> so it's uh it's a very low, low number. You can't get much lower than that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a, it's tough. I don't know. We'll see uh Ireland's looking good. I'm not saying they're not looking good, but to me, I'm just like, it doesn't mean anything if you don't get past the quarterfinal um, come yeah. the fall. Yeah. Speaking of teams that can't win, uh, the Toronto Arrows played <laughs> this weekend. 
Okay, uh, that was that was a little ruthless, probably uncalled for. Um, yeah, that was. Yeah, okay, that was that. That was ruthless. Right, let, let's get into it. So they had a great win last week. We're just a, yeah. short, short-term memories over here uh, at the Larouche Rugby Podcast, apparently. Yeah, one and three. Uh, you can tell where this is going. Um, so it it did start off well. I'll give them that. They uh, got the first penalty, and uh, you know Malcolm scored three points. Yeah, which I missed by the way. Yeah, because I was on my way home from the Marley's game after our footy practice. We did a little team event at the Marley's game, and I was on my way home. So um, I got home, and it was 3 nothing. And then, Stu, you can fill in the fine people on what I got to watch. And um, feel free to yell at me because it's probably my fault because I obviously yeah. did something. Yeah, so we have our score three points. Obviously, always good to get on the uh, scoreboard early. Then DC scored a try, but not the conversion. And then they scored another try. And then another try, and then another try, and then a couple of pe- uh, I think a penalty. There yeah. three conversions, one penalty. Final score: DC twenty nine, Toronto three. It yeah, yeah, let's uh, get into this. That's, so just, as I, I mentioned, the, the shortest Afro- summary you've ever done for a game. Yeah, so aforementioned Malcolm being the only point scorer with a penalty. Uh, two yellow cards were handed out to the hours during the game. That was to Mitch Eady and Kobe Faust. And on a uh, positive angle, Mike Shepard becomes the second Arrows player to win 50 MLR caps, uh, tying him with Paul Cellini. And that's about as much positives as I can take away from this game because this was a... uh, yeah, let's get into the meat of it. The <laughs> so, so, so watch is that what you're trying to? Time yeah, it it was no. because it seems the same issues that have afflicted the arrows like last season and previous seasons have just come back again. Of okay. the arrows making uh, progress into the opposition's half, into the opposition's twenty-two, and then just unable to convert the points. Yeah. Um, but let's let's uh, talk about the attack because whilst um, that penalty was being awarded to the arrows that Malcolm eventually scored, um, Noel Reed uh, had in the tackle accidentally knocked heads with Ramon Ayaza. Ramon Ayaza, a significantly bigger player than Noel Reed. Um, Reed was down. Uh, fortunately, he was able to get back to his feet, but he was uh, taken off for a HIA. Avery Oitman came on in his place. Um, he clearly failed that HIA because he was off for the rest of the game. So, and that head knock is concerning, not just for the player welfare standpoint, which is obviously paramount of any of these discussions, but it highlights the inability to change the attack plan as a result. So, I may be wrong, but it appears to me as though the arrow's attack depends on having at least three kickers on the field at one time. So that would be um, the scrum half, in this case, Ross Brody, uh, the fly half, Sam Malcolm, and then either the fullback or a center that can kick. So that's either Reed or O'Leary. The arrows have only scored once with fewer than three kickers available in a game in this uh, season of MLR so far. And that's... Uh, Faust's penalty versus New York, a game that they also finished with only three points. So after Reed went off, the Arrows conceded 29 points. And as I mentioned before, they were just unable to convert opportunities that presented themselves. Uh, So this leads to two things that I want to talk about. One, 
there needs to be a change in the attack plan when it comes to kickers on the field. If it's, um, you know, ball in hand, which it seemed to fall back into, there didn't seem to be a lot of um, fluidity to change from what had originally happened with um, Brody, Malcolm and Reed being on the field. Because statistically, uh, the Arrows have only scored tries when there's been three kickers on the field. The game against Atlanta, when O'Leary came on, and then you had um, Malcolm and O'Leary, and I, th- I don't think it was Brody on the field at the time. I think he'd been subbed off. But the scrum half, was, the fly uh, half. The first game against Atlanta was Cole Brown. Was Yeah, Brown. Sorry. Um, so Brown, Malcolm, and O'Leary. And then you score a try. When it was the game against um, Chicago, you had Brody, Malcolm, and Reed, and you scored two tries. Breen's been kicking a lot, though, too, though, when you're... Like, Breen had a lot... Breen had more kicking meters in this game than Malcolm, according to the MLR stats and stuff. So something That, to that is true. However, and this, is, this isn't a knock on Breen at all, but it is um, just the sense of... With more M- like Brody and Malcolm both have more MLR experience. Reed and um, O'Leary have more um, 15s experience at uh, club level, and because Green has transitioned from sevens to 15s, so it's a different style of play. Obviously, yeah. like the more time he has at it, the better he'll be. So at the but at the moment, if you say like who are the kickers on the uh, team, you'd say scrum half, fly half, and then. Uh, with Reed, he's um, at center a lot of the time. O'Leary, he's either um, fly half or fullback. But you know, at least three. Breen, obviously, give him more experience. The more time, the longer he's playing, the better he's getting at. The more used to getting into an MLR style in fifteens, um, fantastic. Uh, but the other point I wanted to make about the attack plan is that if it falls into this um, ball in hand style. And because I know we've had um, the we've had Pete Smith on, we've had Bill Webb on, and they both mentioned that, you know, um, certain front row players have left or um, gone to different clubs. And now we've brought in like bigger guys, yeah. but it still seems to be like the results the same, that you're getting the ball into the 22, you're getting the ball into the yeah. opposition half. And, you're conceding penalties or the ball and the ball's getting turned over and then it's back the other way. So if you've changed the players and the results are still the same, maybe it's the attack plan that needs to change. Obviously the arrows attack was a big talking point on social media after the game. And obviously we're continuing that conversation into here. I think, yeah, I mean, like I think a lot of teams try to, as you know, to your, kind of point earlier i think a lot of teams obviously try to utilize kicking and um some especially like around rugby around the world is kind of getting really kind of waking up to how important a kicking game can be um we kind of saw it in this one as a you know a diaz bonilla had unreal job like controlling territory setting up some tries with like 50 22 kicks as mm-hmm. well like it was very um like very ir- the old glory DC like really utilized their kicking game to help guide their attack. But I think 
a couple of things I think with like the arrows attack where I'm where my concern really is um is a couple things that we kind of like you kind of touched on already one it's like we're through four games they've only scored three tries two of those four games they didn't score any tries yeah right and the real thing the real issue that I think I see is like you look at two of those tries two of those tries are real long distance tries mm-hmm. right the um you had the O'Leary chip that Breen gathered passed off to Richardson um, against Atlanta. Then, you know, last week against Chicago, you had a Richardson chip it on. He regathered himself and offloaded to Malcolm for a try. So the, the two of those tries were from from a very long distance. They were able to use a little bit of creativity and attack, and they scored tries from out there. Um, their th- second try against Chicago, the, uh, the forwards kind of worked the ball um, inside the 22 and then you know Tassie and Reed had a nice little or Reed had a nice line break Tassie followed up Malcolm followed that up and they scored from maybe like I don't know 15 20 meters ish out right um the the real issue that I'm seeing right now too is the forwards haven't scored a try yet right yeah. and you know in a league where the line out and the driving mall is one of the more common ways that forward packs do score tries um that seems to me like that might that's kind of an issue four games in that your forwards haven't scored a try yet um right yet alone the fact that you've only scored three tries and have 43 total points and which is last in major league rugby Right. Yeah. Um, which is also last in major league rugby if you subtract the fifth game that a handful of teams have played as well. Mm-hmm. Um looking at the arrows and looking at this game, it's like there was trips in the 22 that just there was a knock-on, there's a handling error. Um, there was just a breakdown steal from DC. Um, DC was doing a great job at the breakdown through most of this game, right? So yeah something kind of ended it. There was even that that one weird play where Richardson had a, ran a really nice line. I mean, I know Richardson's not a forward, but like Richardson ran a really nice line, kind of ran into the post and lost the ball, um, which ended that opportunity as well, right? But it seems like every time the forwards get into an opportunity to maybe like bang away at the try line, you know, a few meters out, something happens. There's somewhere... Um, that something happens they lose the ball they turn the ball over and you know that that kind of to me is where when i'm looking at the attack it's like that's where my concern kind of lies the most is it's like there's there's definitely opportunities there's been opportunities in every game that they've played where they've gotten the ball down there right they've gotten they've they've gotten into the try scoring opportunities and then it's a missed line out it's some sort of other execution error on the team that just that's what ends the threat. And I think a lot of that happened in this game as well, right? Just some some execution errors when you're inside the 22. Cause I mean, out of through the first four games, they've only really had one trip inside the 22 that turned into a try. Yeah. Right. Through four games, which isn't good enough. No. Right. It's tough. I think I think part of it was that, you know, we're riding a bit of a high last week on Sam Malcolm's incredible performance. Yeah. Um scoring like we said it's been talked about so much this past week, 27 points and a 27-26 win. It was incredible. Got a yeah. full house. It's probably not going to do that every week though. Like No, and, you know yeah, I mean? and it's unfair to expect yeah. him to. No, exactly, right? So it's like 
I mean, it took right now, like the arrows are one in three and it took arguably the best individual performance in the history of major league rugby to get them that one. Yeah. Right. Um, and right now, yeah. Like I think the, the attack is like, it, it is tough. Um, like I said, looking at the, the MLR, um standings hold on let me just pull it up so i make sure it's right like looking at the mlr standings right now um they're you know points four they're at 43 um the next closest team is dallas at 69 now dallas has played five games so if you yeah. subtract the fifth game that they just played against chicago it comes down to dallas is only at four is at 47 which also includes a game that they got shut out by San Diego in, right? Yeah. But, you know, Dallas, even with that, though, Dallas through their first four games had two tries in their first game, five tries in the second game, one try in the third game. They got shut out by San Diego, and then they had four tries against Chicago. So it's like they're finding a way to kind of score tries. Dallas's problem seems to really be a lot of they're giving up a lot of points. Yeah. Um. Right? But at the same time, though, the other the other flip side of this, too, um, which is also maybe a concern for the arrows is that they're um, right now they're 10th in points against, right? Meaning they've allowed the 10th most, they mean they've allowed the third most points in the league. But yeah. again, with that, if you take out the teams that have played five games, one of those teams is the Nola gold who through five games has allowed 119 to the arrows 111. So if you subtract that fifth game, they actually drop to 11th. If you subtract yeah. Dallas's fifth game, they're still more, have more points allowed than the Toronto arrows, um, which is, you know, probably also an indicator of why Toronto and Dallas find themselves at the bottom of the table in their respective conference, right? Yeah. Scored the least amount of points and you're giving up the most amount of points. It's not a, um, that's not a good recipe um, yeah. for a successful team. Right. And I think be, beyond, and I think even too beyond that, it's even if, tries aren't going over um two games where you only score three points is uh is a tough way to to start the season as well um, yeah so like um yeah and i don't even think like malcolm didn't even did Mal malcolm didn't even hardly have sorry i was gonna say yeah malcolm i was just sorry i was just double checking but yeah malcolm only had one opportunity for a penalty yeah right? like it wasn't um it i wasn't mean like, I know, there was a couple yeah. there was a couple areas where they went for like the corner instead of kicking for a, a goal but yeah. um which was probably the right decision but it's um the the attack is definitely it, it's an area of concern i think the fans were really showing that after the game too yeah uh so another thing i want to mention is uh yellow cards because last week oh, the arrows yeah. got three and yeah. i did say any other game that would be a loss. Yeah. Well, call me Nostradamus because they picked up two yellows during which they conceded 15 points. Now, in all fairness, Faust may have just been on like the harsher end of the ref's call, but he yeah. was a second late to the ball when if he had gotten there like a second earlier, he would have had his hands on that ball, forced a penalty, it's a turnover, and he's still on the field yeah. for the rest of the game. Um, which then highlights that 
and it's been shown in like other games as well the arrows are simply not fast enough to get into position when they need to be and it's one of their flaws that has allowed their defenses to be exposed um yeah they're which, they're giving up yeah. they're giving up points or yellow cards off yeah the exactly breaks. um um yeah but yeah, but either Faust, you can it's like that's like a 50-50 call again. It's a bit, similar is a similar call to uh, the one against Reed, where it's kind of like if you're stopping a try, I don't really hate it, but also five yeah. yellow cards in two games is yeah. That's, that's, I mean that's tough. Yeah, and that's a Mitch Ed. Um, I think for his hey, experience, right. that was such a silly. Yeah, like call to make and just to like knock the ball out of Tusatala's hands from the offside position, and then it's a yellow card. It's a penalty. It's in front of the post, and you can argue that oh, you know, he may have been like stopping a try, but then he's also you're already some points behind, and then you're just giving them a clear shot at the goal, which yeah. they took. As they were perfectly in their right to, and then. With Faust being off, Mitch Ed then ran up uh, from the line to maybe catch an intercept that was clearly never going to happen because uh, the DC player had so much time to read what he was doing. And as a result, that left a huge gap that the player was able to get go through. A couple of offloads, two Satala has the ball, no one's fast enough to catch him. Yeah. And that's the bonus point tried to DC. DC scored some good tries, man. They're actually like their their attack looks pretty good. Like their attack is pretty. Good. I think the try that um, saw continued the scoring in the second half that was like very oh, good off the if, off the scrum and then yeah. move it out wide to Young in the corner. Yeah, that was a good. That yeah, was a good even try. even if like uh, well the arrows players were pretty sure that was a forward pass at the end, but uh, yeah. results yeah. is as results do, and um, yeah, but I, as. Yeah, yeah I mean, I would, yeah. I, I, I mean, mean cre- credit to DC because yeah, they took the opportunities that presented themselves was, and were if, able if, to if capitalize. The, I know, like, uh, like you kind of just said, it's um, you know, uh, looks like Rumble was kind of frustrated with the ref a little bit this game yeah. too. Um, I don't know, even if the ref was perfect, the arrows, the arrows got outplayed in this game. Um, I think one of the big, the big things I think for me, um, from looking at this too was. So I wrote in my match preview on the LaRouche Rugby black box that there was basically two really big matchups that I was kind of looking for in this game, um, which was the halfbacks. So Brody and Malcolm versus Tusitala and Diaz Vanilla. And the other one was the pack, the, the two packs, right? Yeah. Um, part of the Arrows' success against Chicago last week was the pack was great, right? The uh, they wore, they were winning penalties at the scrums. The lineouts um, were perfect. I believe they were perfect. I don't think they they missed one against Chicago, right? Um, the the malls were good. Um, I know I've said earlier in the show that the Arrows' forwards haven't scored a try yet, but they definitely helped set up one try and they certainly set up the drop goal last week against Chicago, right? So they were playing quite well. They played quite well against Chicago. Um, but this game, I think it was like DC scrum had an edge on them, right? Mm. Um, the line out wasn't as crisp as it was, right? DC's line out was good. Their scrum was obviously good. 
Right. And, you know, losing that matchup, I think, also kind of contributed to how this game went. Um, But the other thing, too, is um, like the halfback pairing. Obviously, uh, Tusitala scored a try. Right. But also Diaz Banilla had, um, you know, how many points off his boot? He had three conversions and a penalty. So he had, um, right. So he had nine points off the boot there. But it's, you know, it was the way that every kick that this guy made was like perfect. Yeah. Um, it was actually, it was like imp- really, it was insane to watch. Like he had a couple 50 22s and like, like long 50 22s too, right? Um, Annoyingly. Yeah, exactly. Annoyingly, some perfectly placed kicks. There was a couple arrows penalties um, where it was like, he would get the the ball would be like in well inside the DC half. And then the lineup would be like on the five meter line or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, like he was uh Diaz Benilla's boot was just absolutely on fire during this game. And, you know, the, the arrows had the arrows, uh, I think according to the MLR app had um, more possession in the game, but the territory was big edge to DC right and mm. diaz Benilla was a huge huge factor in that right so the arrows were in their half a lot of the time right and yeah. even if they had the even if they had the ball i mean as um you know as the game went on too they started to try to maybe run with the ball a lot more to varying degrees of success at certain points yeah. um right but it's you know like those two matchups, I think, were going to be key going into the game. And then the arrows came up on the wrong end of both of them. Right. Yeah. And I think you obviously want your your best players to be your best players. That's how like most teams will succeed in yeah. any sport in any league. Right. Um, but like right now, it seems like, you know, it it, it is kind of in that line of like, it's, it's concerning that it's like, okay, if Sam, like if Sam Malcolm doesn't have something going, like where is, where's the attack coming from? If, you know, maybe, you know, the other 10 is playing outstanding. Right. And like, we, he kind of, because the game against Chicago, it's great, but it's like, it's a lot of Sam Malcolm doing stuff. Right. Yeah. Um. So it's uh, like, I don't know. I feel like, when, when I'm like watching like other teams in the league, I feel like one of the things is like, you know, you're talking about like the kicking and stuff, um, right? Or maybe like, you know, maybe some more dynamic options in the backs, run some different lines, run, you know, maybe, you know, do a couple uh, different, you know, make a couple different like backline plays that, um, you know, maybe offset piece or whatever. I think like in a weird way, I'm like watching some other teams, like watching like San Diego. It's like what I kind of wonder is it's like San Diego seems like a team that it's like whenever they need a try, the ball goes to Nanu or Augsburger. Right. Yeah. And it's like they're not maybe they, they either score or they don't, but they also kind of make something happen. Right. Like Augsburger scored a try in the game this weekend that was just like a terrible pass. It was admittedly a terrible pass from Nanu, right? That went nowhere. But then he just gathered the ball and made like four guys miss tackles and scored from like a nothing play. Right. And it's kind of like, I guess, like, that's kind of my thing right now is like, I don't know, like, who's like the arrows kind of like 
game breaker guy gonna be that's just like if the arrows need to try like just give them the ball and he can like kind of make it happen and i'm not like i mean statistically it's sam malcolm, sam malcolm yeah but uh, yeah. but also statistically sam malcolm has three tries in his mlr career right like sammy yeah. the hoop for a reason um he scored two tries last week and was outstanding but but that's also kind of the thing right like both those the, that one play that the first try at the Richardson scores, like Malcolm started that play and then followed that up. Right. Um, and it was a try of the week. <laughs> it was a try of the week. Like the arrows are score, like they're scoring good tries when they score them. Like two of yeah. them have been highlight reel for sure. Yeah. Right? But, but that, need, that's my issue that. is it yeah. doesn't matter how good it looks. No. Just yeah. score the score, damn try. Yeah. Exactly. But I think that's what it comes down to though, is at the end is it's like, uh, they got to make the opportunities in the 22 count, right? And, yeah. like, the forwards have to be able to punch something in, um, whether that's a mall or that's just, you know, working through the phases, grinding down at the line, right? Um, yeah. You know, even if it's just, you know, right? And it's like, even if it's just, even if it's just, I know I'm saying they haven't scored a try yet, even if it's just like, hey, break down that defense on the try line, be able to like set a platform and then have Brody swing it out wide to Oideman or um whoever or Richardson or whoever good all whoever ends up on the wing, right? Um, yeah. you know, to to finish in the corner, something like that. Um, because yeah, right now it's yeah, the 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 uh, the attack is is a is a concern and um you know, the, there's got to be there's got to be a little bit of a shift from that because obviously yeah. three tries for four games is is going to be tough to uh, it's tough to win rugby games when you're like well one you have two games where you don't score a try it's always going to be yeah. tough uh, it's tough to win rugby games when you don't score a try it doesn't happen too often so yeah um definitely so, something that's yeah. going to need to be fixed um, yeah, just, did you mention just do you have anything else to add sorry. I was going to say, did we should we talk about Mike Shepard for like two seconds, or do you have something yeah. else before we? Yeah, go? Uh, we'll talk about Mike Shepard and then we'll conclude talking about this game. You know, Mike Shepard, we had him on before the season began. Um, he's the second player to play entirely for the Arrows and reach fifty caps. Um, going on social media, every player has been talking about like how important he is to the team. How. Yeah. It's more than a game and, you know, giving him the due credit of achieving 50 caps with the arrows. Uh, so, yeah, congratulations, Mike, and uh, very well yeah. deserved. And looking forward to uh, next week, hopefully, when you'll be picked again and become the uh, all-time yeah. leading uh, appearances for the arrows. the arrows. Yeah, so, well, yeah, like, and I mean, it's kind of a fitting thing that Shepard will you know, ob like obviously whenever like the next game that he plays is going to hit that 51 and, you know, kind of take yeah. that crown from Cellini. But um, like, it's kind of fitting, right? Because it's like, that's a guy that's, you know, as we talked about with him, he played, you know, for the Ontario Blues. And then as that kind of transitioned into the Ontario Arrows, like he was the captain of the Ontario Arrows, um, which matches your hat perfectly there, Stu. And, you know, yeah. the lovely... uh the lovely kind of blue and gold era that disappeared for a little bit. And then the arrows brought back and it looks so good right now. Um, but that's the one thing we can still say, man, no matter, no matter what the lay looks like on the scoreboard, we still have the best looking team in the league. 
Um, <laughs> but so it's you know something counts. Um, but yeah, Shepard. Um, you know he's he's been a captain, part of the leadership group for the teams. Like, you know, um, he was a you know all MLR player in his in the first in 2019. Um, you know, used MLR, got his spot on the World Cup squad, right? And you know he's been a captain, part of the leadership group ever since. Always mm-hmm. lovely to score tries off after charge downs. And, uh, you know, one of those things, too, it's like like in this game, right, typical kind of Mike Shepard game, right? He uh, led yeah. the team in tackles again, right? So, um, you know, obviously obviously a big physical player and, you know, a player that the uh, the team clearly uh, loves and respects in the uh, dressing room as well. And a super fun interview uh, we, we did with him. He's always, always yeah. has a good quote. Um, whenever we talk to him and, uh, you know, he's always it's been nothing but nice to us too. So, yeah. um, it's, uh, I think that's episode was at one fifty three. We talk about Mike Shepard. Yeah. Mike, 69 I, minutes with Mike Shepard. Yes, exactly. And, uh, so yeah, that's, um, you know, it's uh congrats to him. Um, yeah, totally agree with you, Stu. The result of the game doesn't matter in, in this point, but, um, yeah, you know, c- congrats to him, and uh, should be a. There's a couple more arrows that uh, seem like they're kind of creeping up on the 50 cap mark. Too. Yeah, Sam, Sam Malcolm received his 40th cap for the yeah. arrows. Richardson uh, got his 30th too. It's a weird, weird yeah. milestone game for. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, Roland passed like um, what did he pass? He passed like a thousand minutes or something like that. Yeah, um, I think fifteen, which isn't which isn't yeah. translate quite as well when it comes to cap. But anyway. Um, no, but I it's still it's still cool. There was a whole yeah. list of milestones that uh, the Arrows press release kind of put out. Actually, like speaking of that too, there's a lot of guys in the league that hit 50 this week for whatever reason. It's kind of yeah. Well, we'll talk about a certain one in yeah. a minute, but yeah, that was the final score from DC. Uh, the Old Glory 29 Arrows three. The Arrows currently one and three in the 2023 MLR season. Just want to point out that uh, if they're looking at making the playoffs, especially in the East, last season, um, the teams that got through, um, New England only lost three games, Atlanta and New York only lost five. The Arrows have currently lost three, (laughs) unless they go on a uh, 12-match winning streak. Then it's going to be very, very difficult to make the playoffs. Not a so, uh, not out of the not out of the realm of possibility. It's only not out of the realm of possibilities. Of but this is your see. This is your Welsh pessimism coming through. Exactly. There's still a lot exactly. of rugby left. There's, there's a lot of there's a lot of rugby left, but that yeah. Dallas can make the playoffs still. Come on, Dallas can still make the playoffs. A lot of rugby left. All right, that margin's getting ever finer. Anyway, well, let's talk I about mean, the other MLR games that happened this weekend. First up, we had NOLA versus Utah. And if you thought NOLA's win over New York last week was a fluke, well, they're here to say absolutely not. This is how they want to be playing at the gold mine this season. Uh, NOLA, much earlier off the blocks this time round. Uh, Utah did put in some impressive scores and... Uh, Nearly scored three tries only, but uh, mm-hmm. one of them was called back for uh, obstruction. And yeah, it seems that uh, the gold is like cashing in all their tries early this season. The final score, NOLA 37, Utah 14. Then we head uh, to the east where Atlanta hosted San Diego. And 
Uh, yeah, it's starting enough. a pretty uh, close game. San Diego scoring a try, Atlanta scoring back. Uh, but in the end, it seemed that the visitors had all the strength in their final score. Atlanta 10, San Diego 35. But this was also an historic game because this was the first MLR game to have an all-female commentator team. And I've got to tell you, just even from listening to the highlights, it's so much better. It's so better. Um, yeah, they were good. Yeah, they were good. I think, you know how I complained of like uh, every commentator seems to be talking over the ref when they're making an important call or explaining a decision? That never happened in this game. It was clear. It was concise. When plays were going on, they were taking the time to make sure they were getting the name correct. It was brilliant. Yeah, yeah this may have been the first game. I hope, I hope it's not the last all right, but we got it. we move on to the big game of the weekend, Chicago versus Dallas. Two teams unbeaten. Sorry, not unbeaten, the opposite of unbeaten. <laughs> opposite Completely of unbeaten. beaten. Absolutely beaten <laughs> yeah, in both only in all ever their games. Been beaten. Uh Chicago and Dallas. Uh Dallas were able to uh, it was lot, lots of tries with few conversions. And then in the second half, it seemed to be that penalties were the deciding factor. Uh, Dallas were able to get um, four tries. So they do get the try bonus point. And just when it looked like they were going to claim their first win, Dallas, who were only one point behind, were able to kick the penalty to take them two points clear. So it's the Chicago Hounds with their first win of the season. Dallas relegated to their 21st consecutive loss. Yeah. The longest losing run in MLR history, even eclipsing the uh, Austin results from 2018 to 2020. The Austin not at all elite. Yeah. Final score, Chicago 24, Dallas 22. And then we head to the East for the Chowder Cup between New York and New England. Now, I had said, oh, um, Mount Vernon seems to be like Castle Grayskull. New York are just so powerful when they were there. Well, it I seems told you as they've a... won two games. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out they don't have the power because uh, New England just came in and absolutely demolished them. The final score, New York 18, New England 33. And speaking of New England, uh, one of their signings in the offseason, former Arrow, Arrow Cole Keith has won his 50th MLR cap. So I think it was 46 with the Arrows and four with New England. So, Cole, congratulations. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you, uh, you know, run onto the pitch at York Lion Stadium. Uh, if you want to have an off day, <laughs> have it against the Arrows, you know, just for old time's sake. But, uh, yeah, uh, we'll be there. We'll be cheering you on, congratulating you. And yeah, looking forward to uh, 60th, 70th and all the other caps yet to come. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a lot of um, interesting action taking place at the gold mine, at uh, the former snake pit at Mount Vernon and at SeatGeek Stadium. And interestingly enough about SeatGeek Stadium, it has been announced by Major League Rugby that the 2023 championship final will take place at SeatGeek Stadium in Chicago. And it's going to be part of a culmination of a rugby weekend that will take place on July 8th. So this is the first time that the uh, league has predetermined where the final will take play. Uh, 
Maybe at a neutral venue, we don't know. The Chicago may kick into high gear. Now they know that they'll be uh, hosting the final and go on a 13-match and beaten run, taking it straight to uh, the grand final where they'll be uh, hosting the dang thing. But uh, it's been a mixed reaction, I should say, on uh, social right. media, wouldn't you say, Derek? Yeah, I think it, it it's kind of bizarre. I think, like, it's... um. Well, on like one hand, it's I think it seems like the people that are against it are very much in the like it's like kind of almost seem like they're arguing that nobody's gonna want to go to it, which I, I don't know. Am I misreading that too? But that kind of I don't know. What's what's your sort of assessment on the negative? It's kind of I, I think I think where they're coming from is is that fans will be yeah. invested in their team, their team making the yeah. final. And, yeah. you know, it, it obviously depends. Well, last year and the year before, it was uh, whichever yeah. team is ranked highest overall, they would have the uh, home fixture. So it's yeah. so I can see where they're coming from because if, say, you know, the Arrows were to turn it around and finish top of the East and yeah. then they have... Um, the bye, they'll have their bye week from the eliminator, they'll host it, and then they'll win that game. And then it's like, hey, congratulations, you're in the final. And yeah. even though you finished top and you had the most points, you have to go to Chicago. Yeah. And when it gets to that point, I think, yeah, some pe- some fans and some teams are going to be miffed if they have to go to a neutral yeah. venue. I-, I will say, SeatGeek Stadium is probably one of the closest it's- stadiums that Arrows fans can go yeah, to. It is. It's uh, uh that's but that is, I think but that, I think it's yeah. the Chicago's what the closest team to Toronto. They're in the opposite conference. Um, yeah. but uh that's just the way geography in North American sports works. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things too, where it's like I think obviously they've had of um finals at neutral venues before, right? San Diego hosted a couple of them. Um yeah, and you know, uh I mean, rugby town USA, I think hosted the first. Yeah, I think Glendale, Glendale played in that game though. Um, oh no, they think, hosted the semifinals. That was yeah, it. something like that. Um, but it's like they've done that before. They did the thing in Vegas, which maybe didn't work out too well. I had fun at it, but um, maybe yeah. it didn't work out too well for them. Um, right, but I think for me, it's just kind of like, like I think like last year was so weird with um, you know, they I guess nobody wanted new york to host at the high school um, yeah right for a national tv game so they got it into red bull right but that was also kind of like that was such a weird situation too because i was like i don't even like new york fans didn't even know where the game was gonna be right yeah that um, that was very last minute and i think yeah. it should have i think that was also right. communication on the league's part yeah. on the uh rugby new york's part as well and i think this is uh, so this isn't the same situation. This has been decided in well, yeah, between well like in week four and week yeah. five of a sixteen-week season. So we still got uh, by the time of the press yeah. release, it was twelve weeks ago, plus the eliminators, plus the conference final. So that's yeah. fourteen weeks between then and now to determine which team is going to be making. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, it's even more because I'm not even counting. Like, yeah, you're not counting. Weeks. I was going to say you're not counting bye weeks, but but um, but, but even so, as in, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, they're, they're, um, they're getting it out early. They're getting people to know about yeah. it. It this is, is like 
basically saying like book your flights now book your yeah. hotels now I mean, come along just have a party it's not just going to be the final mlr game as well they say there's going to be yes this um, is what I like. they're going to be a showcase of all that american rugby has to offer uh the top level men's and women's club games the youth rugby everything in between it'll be a food and music scene and when you look yeah, at some of like possible. the yeah then that well that's what america does well they turn yeah. um sporting events into you know festivals or entertainment <laughs> events you're not yeah. sure like you're going for the big match but you're yeah. staying because there's this because there's that so yeah. and and to be honest i will i will judge this firmly yeah. afterwards if yeah i think only if only 500 it. people turn up okay i'll put my hands in the air and say i was wrong i was expecting more this was crap um and yeah. you know we'll probably revert back but you know i'm willing to Oh, give I, this a shot. I'm willing to see how it turns out. I'm willing to see if it uh, leads to better and brighter things. Yeah, um, I that's that's um, pretty much how I feel about it too. I think like I love the idea of having like club rugby like on the weekend or surrounding or the week building up to it. Um, I mean, if if it was me, I'd be like invite club teams from the other 11 slash 12 include Miami in it um yeah. include any other expansion team that may be announced later who knows um but like invite clubs from like those teams too yeah uh, or, sorry from those team cities I mean yeah um right invite and then you know if you can have like a little like mini like tournament kind of but then you would also have like some guaranteed fans for every team in in the yeah. league too um but also like yeah like I think I mean, I think it's a good idea. Like, I mean, if they're talking about like music and stuff, so maybe like it'd be cool to see who like announced maybe who's going to perform ahead of time yeah. too, because that could be a bit of a numbers bump um, for people as well. Um, you know, I love, I like the idea of turning it into like the atmosphere and stuff. I think this, I think like the one thing that, that I think is like, yeah, like, um, when we were talking to Bill Webb a couple of weeks ago, that he mentioned that one of the criteria for expansion is your ability to host a final, mm -hmm. right? And uh, one way to ensure that the final is always going to be in a stadium that the league deems appropriate that you want to see on national TV is going to be to have a predetermined venue. Yeah. Right? So I wonder if that played any factor into the league making this decision as well. Yeah. SeatGeek Stadium is obviously a great spot for this. Mm -hmm. Um. And yeah, like, I think, you know, as much as like, I obviously like I get the, the idea from some fans that yeah. you, know, you, if you team makes the final, you want to be there and you maybe want to have that in your own city and stuff. And some people maybe aren't going to be able to afford to go to Chicago. Yeah. Right? But, you know, at the same time, it's like, I, I'm all for the league trying this. Yeah. Like, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, the NFL and the CFL, Super Bowl, Grey Cup, like, that's a predetermined venue. And those yeah. are massive events. Right. Yeah. No matter where I, they are. To be honest, one thing that I would say is that what MLR needs to do, and I say MLR and the Chicago Hams, because SeatGeek yeah. Stadium also has, um, like, practice fields next yeah. to it. So, what I'd say is go to every, like, elementary school, middle school in, uh chicago and say hey we're going to be having a rugby sevens tournament in the morning yeah. of 
this and if you come along you and one parent gets a free seat and if you want to bring your siblings and another parent then it's like five dollars a head then yeah, you I... have lo- then you have loads of kids coming trying rugby trying like a, you know the non-contact version of it but like getting them excited and showing them the rules and then uh you you like bring them into the stadium of the kids just have like all that energy a great atmosphere you know the, as i said there's going to be music there's going to be food they're not going to be bored and i think that's a way to get loads of eyes on the product and get like wow. especially loads of voices on the product as well because and you're just pushing it towards like the younger generation getting them invested so yeah. yeah, I'm eager to see how this all unfolds. But uh, speaking of uh, MLR teams, there was an article in The Province talking about a Vancouver group that has taken another look at professional rugby, specifically Major League Rugby, none of this uh, Super Rugby America's nonsense. Um, and said that, uh, uh, talking about that there was a time when rugby people could claim BC was the centre of the game in North America, and the BC Premier League was the strongest club competition on the continent. High school game, public and private delivered young stars year after year. But to understand how far things have fallen, you can look quite simply at the fact that MLR is in its sixth year as a professional league, and yet there was no entry from Vancouver or Victoria. It also mentioned that a new Vancouver-based group has put their hands up, led by retired player and coach Pat O'Gorman. Uh, depth of knowledge, and they've been talking to the right people to build on their planning. But they lack a crucial thing, money. <laughs> and without a financial backer, their plans can't go any further. So O'Gorman, the father of Regan O'Gorman, um, he's a real estate agent originally from New Zealand. He moved to BC in 1988. Uh, he's very uh, well known in the local rugby community. He's played for years with Vancouver Rome Club. And as mentioned, Regan has played for Canada and the New England Free Jacks. Working with O'Gorman is local hospitality entrepreneur Carl Harrison, who knows MLR well. He was heavily involved in the first year of the Seattle Seawolves and has been part of an organization that was attempting to bring uh, rugby to, uh, well, MLR rugby to Vancouver uh, all the way back in 2018. But also uh, mentioned that... uh, They've been in contact with both Burnaby Mayor Mike Hurley, who is at least intrigued by the idea. Also been in contact with um, UBC's men's rugby head coach, Curry Hitchborn, for advice. And if you uh, watch our interview with uh, Curry Hitchborn, he actually goes on and mentions the uh, pros and cons of having a team in Vancouver. So, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, as I said, they're looking for a Ryan Reynolds type to <laughs> invest in. Yeah. Uh, and although they do say probably similar to his investment in Wrexham, as opposed to being a prospective minority buyer of the Ottawa Senators. So yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean that's. I think Vancouver has got to be the the city that is brought up the most in every conversation on where an MLR team should be or where people want a team should be. Yeah. Um I think this is the first time we've really had like um through Patrick Johnston's article in the province here, I think it's I think it's the first time we've ever really had like people willing to publicly put their names to you know, say that they want to put a team in Vancouver, at least publicly. Yeah. Right. Um, 
So, I mean, it, I mean, again, it would be cool, but it's like, it seems like reading the article to me, um, especially when they're saying it's like, yeah, like we need that, like Ryan Reynolds type. And it's like, it, it, to me, it's just like, yeah, like it's, it's cool that you have maybe stadium options or you have people that would want to be involved in the team. And it's uh, like all of that, all of that is great. But when you're kind of also saying that you're missing money, um, like yeah. that's a big one, right? Like that's, it's, it's like trying to play rugby without the ball, yeah. right? Like it's, it's kind of, it's kind of important. Yeah. Kind of essential. To yeah. Have. Like you, you, you need it. Like, even if you have, you can, you can have a rugby game. You can have, you can go to Twickenham, have 80,000 people in the crowd, have 23 players on each side. Everybody's dressed in the best looking kit, right? Play the anthems. But if you don't have a ball, like it's, yeah. you're not playing rugby. Exactly. Right, you're just yeah. standing. You're standing around on grass. Yeah, just um, say I. I like rugby. I. I think it's really good. I think I can score a lot of tries. Then prove it. Yeah. No. Like, yeah, it's. Yeah. As I mean, if if yeah. I think it may also be worded um, mm-hmm. in a detrimental manner, it may just be like, look, we we would appreciate a Ryan Reynolds type who is, you know, has a lot of money, yeah. is inve- interested in sport. But what they're really saying is we're looking for investors to invest in this team. Because yeah. um, they fail to mention that, oh, you know, the Men's Rugby World Cup is coming to yeah. uh, the United States in 2031. That uh, They do mention that MLR has mentioned about uh, expanding um, till the end of the decade with like two new teams every year. Whether that actually yeah. happens or not is yet to be seen. Yeah. But, you know, um, but speaking of the my other small concern, though, is this like yeah. all the all the teams that the MLR seems to give expansion teams to are the teams that are kind of are quiet. Yeah, and you know what I mean. Like Hawaii didn't end up with a team, right? I mean, yeah. you got kind of we got some rumblings of Miami, but you didn't really hear too much about Miami. Chicago's yeah. just kind of been happening for years, I guess, but yeah. there was never really like a big like. It's like we want to put a team in Chicago, kind of article. Yeah. I don't. I wonder how the MLR feels about the article and stuff. It's all. Yeah, I think. I think as you mentioned, it's been one of those things of like ever since the league's been around, people have been asking when's the Vancouver MLR team coming yeah. around, and the response is if someone wanted to have a Vancouver MLR team, they would have had one. Yeah, right now. it's it's when they get their ball, aka yeah. money. Yeah, they need, they need money. Yeah. Apparently. Well, well, speaking of uh, MLR teams and uh, on the search for what they need, the Miami Sharks have uh, come out uh, publicly saying that they're looking at uh, potential stadiums, one of which is the uh, Florida International University Stadium, um, which is currently being used for both uh, the university's uh, American football team, but also for Miami FC, which is the uh, USL soccer team. Uh, it's a 20,000-seater stadium, um, open plan. It's, uh, so from what I've seen from Miami FC games is that, uh, you know, the dimensions are there for a uh, soccer game, so therefore they should be there for a rugby game as well. I feel like the end zones will be quite small because there's very little give between them and the stands, but it is like uh, amphitheater uh, box type setups that every all the fans are quite close to the action, 
So it is pretty good. It's a college sport, so therefore it has the facilities to be able to broadcast games. They have a um, video display board as well. It is a turf pitch, which I know that uh, a lot of people aren't really fans of. But it was most of the league. But it is a, I believe, a twenty-minute drive from Miami International Airport, so very easy for fans to get to. That's better than the Panthers. If you ever been to a Panther hockey game, it's in the middle of I don't even know where it is. It's in Sunrise, Florida. It's like forty-five minutes away from Miami. That's terrible. But yeah, it's a, but I gotta say I do appreciate the uh, Sharks being like open and transparent with their. Um, plans, you know, they also put out a survey of three different types of kits and asked the, the fans to give their responses of what they felt should be their home kits for the well, home and um, inaugural kits, sorry, for the uh 2024 season. They look nice, actually, too. They do look nice, but I, hate I mean, the black one though, we don't need another yeah. black team in the league of, uh, of for the black one. Yeah, pink and blue, I think, yeah. is a good uh, color combination. But considering when you look at some of the MLR teams and it's easier to get blood from a stone than it is to get certain team information, just having the Sharks being transparent is, you know, re- something really great to see. They also announced uh, their chief operations officer who uh, will be coming in for the uh, inaugural season and in the World of Tour. It's... Uh, Mariano Marco um, saying that thrilled to have him on board. He knows his leadership skills, experience, and passion for the sport, and Miami will take our team to new heights. Let's give Mariano a warm Miami welcome. I think so, yeah, it, it looks like things are coming along uh, quite well for the yeah. Sharks. Yeah, I was gonna say I think like I, I've really been liking the Miami Sharks like rollout, and I think like this is how the league should be. I know. I know maybe the Chicago Hounds were maybe in a in a tough spot given how yeah. last year ended with Austin and LA um dropping out of the league. But you know, I think like I I think what is happening right now with Miami is kind of the way the league should be doing it, right? Where it's yeah. like announce it a full season ahead of time, and then as the current MLR season is happening, drop like these little bits of news, like we got a logo. Um mm-hmm. we you know, we got a logo. We got the the jersey poll. Um, we got you know we're getting um, the the COO news. We're getting a little uh, like a little bit of stadium news, whether they and actually end up at FIU Stadium or somewhere else, um, whatever. But it's 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 be it's well done because I mean, as we're doing right now, it keeps the Miami Sharks in like the MLR news cycle as yeah. it's happening, right? So it's like we're still thinking about and talking about the sharks even though you know there's a whole bunch of great games that happen on the weekend and but it's there's the sharks are still a new story right and i'm sure like when it actually circles around um and they get their first win before the dallas jackals do next year we'll all be really excited yeah definitely all right speaking of uh victories yet to come well, let's have our predictions for round six of MLR 2023. So I'm going to give you like the team names and you're just going to tell me which one's going to win. So first up, DC will be hosting NOLA. Oh, NOLA. NOLA looks like they're on fire now. They uh, some, Something has been sparked after the 0-3 start, I think. I think uh, 
DC are coming into themselves at the moment. I'm going to go with DC. And there'll be a, it's a DC home game as well. Uh, next up, New England versus Dallas. Well, seeing as Dallas have already destroyed my preseason prediction, I'm going to say, you're on your own line, lads. I'm going with New England. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I can't go against Cole Keith after he got yeah. his uh, 50th cap. And, uh, you know, one of our favorite podcast guests on the show, great player as well. Um, I I just I don't see how he could possibly lose a game um, this week anyways. All right. Now we have Utah versus Toronto. So this is back out at uh, Zions Bank Stadium. Derek, who you got? Oh, wow. You're not just assuming it's Toronto anymore? Is that how pessimistic you've got? No, I just want you to say it. Okay. Well, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to back the Toronto Arrows. We're going to get back on track this week. Um the forwards are going to have a try. Ayarza is going to have a try. I'm going to call Ayarza gets a try. I'm going to call Edie gets a try and we'll get back on track. Right. I'm also back in Toronto. Okay, next up we have Houston versus Atlanta. Uh Houston have also been uh, pretty impressive as well and Atlanta, you know, just been faltering, especially after coming back from there. By I'm going to go with Houston. Uh man, yeah, I don't know. Like Houston's been one of the best teams in the league so far. It's tough to vote against them, yeah. but I, uh, you know, for the sake of being a little bit different, we have to have some conflict here. Um, yeah, I'll go, with, I'll go with Atlanta. They have more Canadians on Atlanta, right? So it's. Yeah, if, if they pick them is the a different thing. Uh, and finally, we have Chicago versus Seattle. I'm going to yeah. say Seattle because I'm starting to think that Chicago might not be very good. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. didn't get the win, but it but, was against um, yeah, the team yeah. that has yet to win in MLR after yeah. an entire season. It's so season. bizarre because they're, like, they're made of the two best teams in the league. And I was like, yeah. oh, like. It can't be that hard to gel, but apparently it is. So maybe yeah. maybe they're just not very good. Yeah, and Seattle themselves coming off a bye week, they're refreshed. Yeah. I'll be going with Seattle as well. So the games this weekend are DC versus NOLA, New England versus Dallas, Utah versus Toronto, Houston versus Atlanta, and Chicago versus Seattle. And you can watch all those games on the Rugby Network, and the Arrows games will also be available on tsn.ca, TSN Plus, and the TSN app. As well, we may have come to the end of the Six Nations, but that just remains the return of the Premiership and the URC, and you can watch that on Sportsnet. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out more episodes as well as our written pieces on our new website, therougerugby.ca. You can also find our podcast on Spotify, Spotify for Podcasters, and Apple Podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel at The Rouge Rugby with episodes of the podcast as well as extra interviews with players and coaches. Make sure to like and subscribe and hit the bell notification to stay up to date with all of our videos. We are also available across social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at The Rouge Rugby. Derek, where can the fine people find you on social media? Um, at Perset the Jet uh, across all social media networks. And you can find me across social media at Hardman, spelled H4RDMAN. Well, that's where we're going to end this episode. Derek, thank you for joining me. And thank you for joining us for the Rouge Rugby podcast, where we focus on real Canadian rugby. We hope you can join us again next time.